1: Hello, welcome back to part two with Tag Warner, CEO of Gay Times. Brilliant chat. Let's hear it. Because I'm always interested in the queer experience because, you know, hence episode 999 of this podcast. But like you don't have it's not like you can go home being bullied and then have a sanctuary where it's like people are saying I'm this or... You can't, I, or did you, did you, did you come out to your family? Or- yeah, I did. And, and and they were tremendously supportive. I can't really
0: say anything other than that. They were amazing. But at the same time, if you go to your parents, right. And you say, I'm being bullied to this extent that I feel like I cannot even go there to, I can't even walk into the, to the property. And then also I'm going to come home and tell you that I've actually had, you know, incidents with teachers I mean, I just feel like as a parent, you're like, I cannot make sense of this. Like, what the hell? And of course they, as they, any responsible parent would do, would kick off and, um, you know, complain about it. But I think that's why I was so fascinated by. This, the experience at the time was that they were so good at turning it. And um, I actually was reading about this recently, so a slight tangent is um it's called, uh, what is it? DARVO, deflect, attack, reverse victim offender. It's a really effective tool in courts that lawyers use mm-hmm. in order to make victims of a situation look like the offender. And it's actually really effective. If you've got a jury, you can, you can actually turn a case around quite effectively by using this tactic. And I think that's really what my experience was, was that instead of being seen as a victim of something, I was told you must be inciting it. You must right. be acting camp. You must be talking. And therefore, <laughs> do you deserve it? You must yeah. be walking in a certain way. You must be talking about gay things. So it was an effective way at um, uh, trying to encourage be- me and my family to think that actually I was the perpetrator and I deserved Whoa. these things. Um, so but I've cause I had that past experience. Yeah. And then of course you see that happen in life. Like if you, if you're interested in these things, if you're a listener, watch the news over the next year and think, where can I spot Davo? Because it's a really effective tool that you can use to essentially rid yourself of any blame. I'm not going to go there because it gets too political, but there's a very famous, uh, case between a man, a very famous man and a very famous woman, uh, that happened over the last year and a lot of legal scholars that Talk about this sort of stuff on online journals, talked about how effectively Darvo was used to make the man in that situation win the case.
1: Really? Yeah. I'm gonna Darvo my husband next time we have an argument. Just (laughs) I'll keep you posted. Well, it's like
0: I think I think of course the the kids, Gen Z kids would would just call it gaslight. (laughs) But it's Ah, sort of like a it's sort of a It's more structured and uh, planned out gaslighting technique. Um, So, yeah, if you ever get in an argument, Davo.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if in doubt, Davo it out. (laughs) Okay, so school, not good. You came out, though. So I want to ask you about the gay scene in Jersey. Okay,
0: so... I don't want to be all negative. I'm quite a positive, optimistic person. I I have to see the world in that way to do a job like mine. So Mm. what I will say is I came out at 15 and I sent letters incessantly to the local airport duty manager at British Airways because I had this idea in my head that if I joined a company like British Airways, that from my experience must be full of homosexuals, that I would therefore be able to discover myself. So I did, and I really (laughs) pestered this lovely woman called Lorraine who I owe, I owe a huge amount to, Lorraine, so Lorraine. Um, Hi, And I Lorraine. pressed Lorraine so much that I then eventually hand-delivered letters to her in our office. And I think that she just eventually got to the point where she was like, I need to basically get rid of this effing kid. I was 15, <laughs> so it just came out. And I was still 15. I was about to turn 16. And so she went, yeah, you can have a job, but you're pushing the wheelchairs. That's the only thing I can give you because you can't Aww. go on the computers because you're not old enough. So I pushed little old ladies and men around on wheelchairs at Jersey Airport. And then it then she gave me instant on check-in. And then I sort of worked my way up. I became a dispatcher and then I learned how to do load control. And so that that was my first love was aviation. And I think being on a check-in desk is a really empowering experience because you get to fuck with people if you want to. You can really <laughs> go there and like I credit that experience and Lorraine, chat Lorraine, and that (laughs) workforce of lots of gay men as my first true gay experience because I was suddenly surrounded by people who were okay with themselves and were nice and supportive. And I got to it understand my identity through the airport so most of my sense of humor yeah it really is actually airline on itv and airport and all those things um, i love it from all those years ago but i um we used to be so naughty like we used to do all sorts of like terrible things just to fuck with people but it was
1: good fun <laughs> wow so what did something naughty that you did to fuck with people
0: um my favorite one was i'll do i'll do an impression so you'd you you the classic one is in jersey you'd get lots of you get lots of, and actually this is really empowering, right? Cause you've got to remember I've just come out. My yeah. whole experience is that every straight man in the world is evil and is there to ruin my life. So I felt like I had to get something back. Like I felt like I needed a bit of like sweet revenge. So I would wait until um, said straight men would come to the desk and you have to imagine me, right? I'm, I've got like a pretty 15 year old voice and a sound pretty camp. Right. So I'm at the desk and I'm turning it on. So I'd go, yeah. hello, Mr. Jones. And they'd go, um, yeah, I'm really late for the flight. And I know I've just got to get on because I've got a meeting in London. I've got, you know, I, you know what people do in airports. They just lose their shit. As soon so, as they walk through the door, people yeah. just lose their heads in airports. It's a weird yeah, thing. It's a and I'd go, oh, yeah, no worries at all. And so, and they said, well, "I've got to get on." And I knew they weren't getting on. They're too late, you know. And airlines are really wow. good at this. If you're late, you're late. It's it's very strict. And I go, "Not a problem at all." Okay. <laughs> so then I said, "Let me just ring upstairs." And what you'd do is you'd ring someone on a few desks down, and everyone was in on the joke. So you're not ringing upstairs. There is no one upstairs. No one cares, Mister Jones. You're late. <laughs> so of course you'd ring and your mate a few desks down, and you go, "Hello." I've got Mr. Jones here for the, um, the London Heathrow. Yes, I know he's got a very important meeting in London. And every now and again, you sort of glance and make eye contact with them and you can see their hope going, okay, I got it. And you can imagine this person's on edge. They've missed their flight, but they think they're going to get on. And then you go, yes, I know. Very important meeting. Yes, and he's terribly sorry. Yes, no. Oh, great. Okay. So I just want to ask, is there anything we can do to get him on board? Oh, good. Okay. Oh, amazing. Oh, he will be pleased. Oh, thank you so much. And then you put the phone down and then without missing a beat, you just go, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So you'd raise this poor person up and then just like bring them back down to earth again. And they'd be like, but you said to your colleague, they said there's something you can do. And you'd be like, oh, no, sorry, we're talking about something else just then. But anyway, you have missed your flight. The next one's tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. And it was really, it was, I mean, let's be honest, it's pretty bitchy, but there was something quite
0: empowering about it. And I
1: think that gave me a bit of confidence
0: back after being sort of like...
1: Bad, bad boy. But this was your revenge on the patriarchy.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was absolutely my revenge on the patriarchy because, of course, a lot of it was like, you listen here, boy. I have a meeting. And, of course, it, it, it... at times, you didn't fuck around with people that got aggressive. Some people would shout at you. Some people. The worst I had was someone that spat in my face. That was unbelievable. Police records. There's every airport has airport police, and the airport police arrested them. I remember that one being a particularly interesting day. But I got to do all sorts of fun things. Do you remember the 2012 Olympics? They had this British Airways golden plane. Oh yeah. So I was, select- yeah, yeah. I was selected to do that, and you know, I was totally a nerd. So I, I was, I was like goody two shoes and. Um, I was always putting myself out let's do things so when getting to do the Olympic torch flight which was the BA 2012 flight was
1: that's amazing so many um, LGBT people love planes I mean lots of people in general love planes but like uh, my husband loves planes Uh, you love planes Mm. Riyadh Khalaf loves planes it's a funny... Ria does love planes. Ria oh, has fun... such a sweetheart. I know. I um,
0: Yeah, I think um I've thought a lot about this. Oh, yeah. I think there's something about it, which is lots of different things, but the idea and the notion of going away and being able to be somewhere mm-hmm. else where you don't have to live up to the standards of the people around you, I think is quite enticing for lots of LGBTQ people. And so I think there's something about the idea of... Uh, somewhere else like there's hope and I think that's where I've seen a lot of friends take to aviation
1: that's interesting but also do you think there's something in like you know I can't think of another profession where like you say like it is when we were kids so you know things have changed a lot but like where you were like it was it was just normal that the people the the people working in aviation the men would be gay and that and it wasn't Mm. Whereas normally it was sort of portrayed as this thing that gayness and queerness was like something that happened like in behind doors at night somewhere in the middle of London. Yeah, I think two things. One is uh, there's really interesting power dynamics.
0: So I, as a 16-year-old gay kid on check-in, have a more powerful status in that airport than the straight businessman. That is a very rare circumstance, okay? Mm -hmm. So that for me was like one of the reasons why I think a lot of gay men took to it, because they would feel emboldened and empowered to live their true sense of identity when they knew that the other person actually, if they step a top line, uh, especially with me on checker, wouldn't get their own way, right? And then the second thing is, is I think there's something about um, the place itself. So, like, let's say an airport and a uh, an aircraft where there's a huge lack of societal infrastructure. There's not the sorts of things that we experience on a daily basis, like our homes and where we live and what door we have. And yes, there's classes, of course, in terms of like different cabins on a plane, but a lot Mm. of that melts away in places like airports. And there's this sort of sense that uh, a person is a person and you sort of like go through this weird experience of travel and you're sort of like in this sort of, I don't know, factory processing machine. So I think not totally, of course, but it sort of deconstructs a lot of those things for people. Whereas in, in life, um, people build things around them to keep that elevated status and, and whatnot on and their sense of identity. So I think that deconstruction is probably another reason why I think gay yeah. men or something have sort of felt excited by that notion, because they could be something bigger than they were in the real
1: world. Oh, so interesting, isn't it? So then you're on the gold plane, you come over to London and by the age of 28 you're editing Gay Times is that true was it 28
0: 24 I was 24,
1: 24 and you're 28 now
0: yeah <laughs> so after my exciting aviation addiction to kerosene fumes I um <laughs> I actually ended up at Heathrow which is like the holy grail really especially oh. in those days like Heathrow, Heathrow was the holy grail of aviation because it was exciting and international and big and scary so I spent a lot of um, time aspiring to that. And I kind of got there and I said, okay, I've got to get a proper job now. I'm finishing up at uni and I was working all the time in my holidays. Mm-hmm. I've always been kind of addicted to work. There's one piece of feedback I'd give myself is sort of like chill the fuck out and just enjoy <laughs> things a bit more. Um, I've got that an- a- annoying sort of like inability to, to not do that, but I try mm-hmm. to. So mm-hmm. I, I finished working at Heathrow and then I went to be a management consultant. Um, which was um, being thrown at the deep end of corporate society. And actually, funny enough, considering what we're talking about, I actually felt really back to square one. I was into a very, very male alpha environment again. Mm. And this is corporate London. So the city of London, Fleet Street and those places. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm bottom of the pack again. And I've got to try and work out where I fit in all of this. Um, And so that felt scary. Although I really enjoyed my time in consulting and I learned a huge amount and I had some great colleagues that I really cherish and still speak to today. I knew it wasn't for me because it it didn't feel purpose driven and I need to do something that Mm. had purpose. So I left consulting and a friend of mine said, the current CEO of gay times is looking for a hand. So I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. And at that point I was unemployed actually um and um I would never recommend this no one do this I was basically just living off a credit card so I was like this was totally like high risk it was just like okay I'm in like just kind of spending money on food each month to kind of survive and I don't have any money to spend on it so I'm just gonna rack up credit card debt not a good idea so I did that and I was like I've got to get a job so I did actually a few stints and did did different freelance roles but then eventually this, this idea came up and I said, OK, fine, we'll go for lunch. And so we did. And so I went in to help Gay Times um, try and essentially change a few things. At that point, it was still a magazine that published 12 issues a year. And it was a sort of traditional magazine. And within a month of getting there, the CEO announced that he was going to stand down and asked myself and this other consultant at the time to find his successor. So essentially, the story goes, we went out to look for a successor. And um, I think the idea was that, you know, you always go to like a glamorous company like Condé Nast and find a gay man that wants to come somewhere smaller and make his mark and has done 15 years in publishing. Definitely not at that time. Yeah, 23, 24-year-olds who'd just done a few years in consulting and was there to be lending a hand. And the person I was working with um, called Josh, who's great and actually now works at Gay Times today, said... You should go for it. So there you go.
1: I went for it, and then um, wow. managed to sort of win through. And so, so because you were in charge of finding the person as well, you so imagine just always shuffling your CV to the top of the pile, just being like, "No, nah, everyone's rubbish. It's a real shame." <laughs> I, I really remember anyone. that
0: conversation. <laughs> I do, and like, I think, I think the person's on the other side of the table laughed, and I don't blame them. Like, I, <laughs> I, if you have an idea in your head, right, you're thinking like. This is someone that's going to be like twenty years into their career minimum yeah. they're probably therefore going to be forties mm. maybe older. So I remember saying I would like to put myself forward after a lot of convincing. And I have a huge amount to, um that I owe to Josh because I didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, But he said, I think you should, I think you're capable and I think you should do it. So when I put myself forward, I think there were laughs. I think I remember, but I don't blame them for that. That's totally reasonable that I was a kid. Mm. Um And so um uh, I was then put through the rigorous process of a, actually proving that I was there for the right candidate, which was a very, very stressful six months. But I'm glad it happened and obviously it kind of there you go, the end of the story is obvious.
1: <laughs> well it paid off because in your tenure you have got the under tag monthly audience has grown from two hundred thousand to more than four million. Is that true?
0: that is true with a huge amount of help by amazing staff and great people that's not all me
1: but that that's over that time yes don't worry tag we'll cut that bit out um so <laughs> <laughs> so how is that to do with an online presence how did you change it what did you say this is a dusty old thing and i want to talk to the people or what was your what was in your mind's eye definitely i think um, it was about
0: understanding how people were consuming content and leaning into that rather than being afraid of it. There's a huge amount of fear. If you're if you're a traditional publishing company in the last few years, I mean it feels like today as we're recording this at Gay Times we hear about a magazine closing down every week at the moment. It's really? just like carnage. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult. So I think I saw what was happening in the market and said you don't push against, you you go with the tide and you understand what your role is today. So I knew that the print magazine would eventually close, which it did in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been amazing. It was like cutting an anchor away from the business. It really has been, I think, one of the biggest reasons why we've been able to be successful and, and grow so significantly was by saying we're doing something that fundamentally people do not want. Mm-hmm. So stop doing it
1: and do something right. else. Love it. And were you supported in that? Were people like, great, or were they like, he's mad, but he's got the job, so I've got to try
0: I think it took me two years to, like, convince the board that it was the right thing to do. But as they say, never waste a good crisis. So when COVID oh. came along, oh, I thought,
1: there I we know. go. Really? Yeah.
0: So if you think think about magazines, right, where are you going to buy them? Smith? they're all closed. So wow. the postal system prioritised different shipments. So... Mm-hmm. I've learned, by the way, side note, I've learned an inordinate amount of logistics. And it's true I never never thought I'd know. Shipping, I remember my favourite one was like getting called by someone at, I think, Menzies Distribution, which is like a big shipping company going, I'm standing on the side of a dock in Southampton and there's just a shipping pallet and the boxes are all just this magazine called Gay Times and I found the phone number and I was like, cool, okay. Uh. Wow weird stuff like that you find like your magazines end up in like odd places around the world <laughs> it's got to the wrong on place anyway That's um so funny but covid covid was a was a uh, was a nice excuse to to do that but it was the right strategy anyway it wasn't about covid for us it was always the right strategy but we needed a time to say look this is the right time and that was the right time <laughs>
1: you know, I've always just liked a sense of how Gay Times feels like it's talking about the now. Um And mm. I, I, I don't know, that's just like, I feel like it reflects stuff I follow on Instagram, for want of a better description. Was that part of what your thinking was?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the reality of it is that we are a independent company, and you only have a certain amount of time in the day, you only have a certain amount of resources, and we'd love to do lots of things, but you can't do everything. So I think we thought, well, Uh, Let's add up, in simple times, let's add up all the hours and the money that we're spending on this thing and look at what else we could do with that. And so, like you say, interacting with the community on social media platforms, building our own platform, um, investing in our digital services, investing in events, felt like all things that were much higher priority by our community when we asked them. And actually, the print magazine, although lovely, and I have a huge amount of respect for it, by the way, it was a lot lower down on their priority list. So we said, well, actually that takes up a huge amount of time and resource and money. So if we can redirect that, could we be more successful? And I think we knew the answer was yes. It was just about finding the right time to make that moment. Because of course the the death of print is sad. And I think I always kind of want to honor that because I don't want to disregard it. And it meant a lot to a lot of people. You know, the, the the worst days were getting letters from people saying, I have bought every issue of Gay Times for 36 years and oh. I have no more to add to my shelf. And you think, God, that's like the end of an era, but the world moves on. And I think we have to change and adapt to where the community wants us most.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to talk to you about Amplifund because I love it. And I think I just wanted you to tell us a bit about it because I think it's such an important thing and I think what sets Gay Times apart. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I... I'll preface it by I I you know it's kind
0: of what I said about working too much. <laughs> I do really, really, really care about what I do. And I try to be really thoughtful about all the decisions I make as a leader. I'm not I always to get it right, and um, no leader does, but I I try to look at everything with that human angle. And when I came into Gate Times, um, it comes back to the ivory tower of media. <clears throat> Everyone I spoke to spent a lot of time telling me what they did as the person raising the money, but nothing about what the person that needed the money was doing. (laughs) So I kind of got (laughs) this like trend and I was like, this feels like it's all about like celebrities and people that want to be famous. Like this is not really about like the people that are like lobbying and activism and doing like frontline work. Like where's their voice in all of this? So I thought, okay, that's Mm. clearly a trend and a problem here. And I think that then realizing that if I could then reach these individuals so these people um, who are incredible frontline activists mainly or people that run organizations in global territories where it's much more challenging to be LGBTQ because of various legal and social uh, prejudices in their own country they said the same thing they said actually a lot of my time is spent on not just fundraising but actually the other the other bit which is the thank you so much. I'm so incredibly grateful and I owe my whole life to you and I'm going to give you that sort of like weird, um, you know, it's sort of like a ass licky thing that I think some people really want and enjoy, which is people are, are in need, mm-hmm. thanking them. And I was like, this just all feels really not right. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what would you rather? And they mostly said, we would rather have the support via funding and resource to do the work that we know that we need to do, and then be basically left alone to do it, right? To the point where I remember one leader saying to me, "I'm currently spending six months going around the world, going to dinners and nice events, saying thank you." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, that's not a good use of your time, is it? And if you mm-hmm. cannot do that, what else could you do with that six months?" So I felt like the the mechanism that we need to create was you um, by working with Gay Times, by buying anything from Gay Times. We donate a percentage of the revenue without you even asking to do it. You don't have to do anything. We just do it. And it goes into Amplifund. And then we distribute those funds to these organisations and then ultimately empower them to do the work that they do. Because the LGBTQ path of rights and freedom in the UK and the US is very different to those around the world. And it's not fair for us to... Uh, try and uh, push our agenda onto those different territories or those communities that are on their own journey. So mm-hmm. I think the best thing we can do is support them and fund them rather than parachute in and tell them how to do things. Um, oh. And that seemed to resonate with all of those leaders tremendously. So that's, that's the notion of fund.
1: Yeah, and it really comes across. It's fantastic, you know, and it's an interesting example, I think, looking at how you've changed gay times of like, it's a perspective thing. It's like, uh, it's covering certain areas still but it's just changing the perspective and handing it back to the people involved and it's not it's not the same but I, you know i always remember one when, when we started this podcast like we said like if if we're doing something about lgbt sex workers we don't talk to experts about sex workers who aren't on the show we talk to sex workers about sex work you know like the perspective is not because the news is just like people debating other people and it's like why don't you talk to the people uh and not you know, exactly that and not make them fight it out with someone who you know is never going to change their mind. Um, And you've done all this incredible stuff. Where's Gay Times heading next? What's in... I mean, listening to you, I know why you work so much, because you think so much. It's amazing. And what do you lie in bed thinking about next for Gay Times?
0: Um, I think that the role gives you an amazing visibility, and you get to see lots of things. And so uh, if you keep your eyes open, you keep seeing things again, you sort of spot trends if you can put things together. Um, I think that one thing I've noticed is, is the infrastructure that our culture and society is built on is built on a set of norms and defaults. Mm-hmm. That's why there's so much challenge in so social culture at the moment, because we're trying to push against mm-hmm. that infrastructure and how it's built right and that could that kind of exists across then everything you can sort of think about in your head so it doesn't really matter specifically what i'm talking about so i think i started to think well if we can start building our own infrastructure and if we can try and help lgbtq businesses activists founders to um have the right tools and money and and everything they need to build their own infrastructure that ultimately goes back to serving our community better wouldn't that be exciting? So I think most of my time and effort now is spent in that. So I think you'll see Gay Times becoming a much more diversified company in the next two years. Wow. Um, I think our sort of like uh, realm and remit will
1: will start going potentially beyond media. And so that's what I lay in bed thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say beyond media, what do you mean? Like, Are we thinking Gay Times trains, buses? <laughs> so I think when we see infrastructure,
0: like from a perspective of planes and trains, most people oh. tell us they don't mind getting on with straight people. So I don't I think that's, oh. that would be lower down on our list. But if you think about yeah. things like um, health care and mental well-being and oh. fitness and education, there's a huge amount of existing uh, defaults in all of those places that are experiencing immense mm. challenge. And there's a huge amount of push from queer folk and rising, you know, growing number of Gen Z kids, et cetera, pushing against what currently exists. So instead of just pushing against, because you still need to do that, if we also start creating our own, um, you know, services and things that are right for the community, that would also be uh, tremendously valuable to a lot of the community.
1: Well, it's amazing because we are in such early stages of us all uniting. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think social media has allowed us all to gather in a way that we obviously they, you know, there has been uniting before, but like in the numbers, where perhaps in a business sense, you're talking about like you go, well, these are the numbers of people, and they want this thing. It's like it's it's much more enticing. Well, exciting things ahead uh, for you. Is it like is it gay times forever, or are we are you going to try and run the country? I suggest you do try because you, I think you do a great job.
0: Thank you. Do <laughs> you know what's <laughs> weirdest? I watch um, I watched like um clips of people like tony blair and obama and i was like what it what was it about that because i don't remember those times what was that mm. 2008 and 97 yeah. i was like what was it about those politicians that sort of like captured the nation at the time that were really lacking in politics today anyway that's a side now i just as wow. I think about that i'm like this really, really lacking in like politics at the moment about like how people can assemble because the people like obama think about what you want he did a very good job at like giving this idea that everything was sort of like being pulled together. Yeah. And of course I'm trying to do that in gay times in lots of ways. So I've, I've thought about that sometimes.
1: Oh my god, Tag is so running for office. I can't believe I've just stumbled across <laughs> this. <laughs> Tag, what a chat. What a guy. What a man. What a man. Um Thursday everybody. I'm in Australia. So it seems only fitting to be talking to Australian singer rock, song singer songwriter singer songwriter Courtney Barnett. So she's coming on the show. Get in touch uh, in the meantime stay connected at Home and sapiens on Instagram, at Home and sapiens podcast on Facebook and comments, questions, agony, uncles Hello at Home and sapiens podcast. Thank you so much for listening everybody. Sending you all the love.